The Water Values Podcast, Session 141. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGuinness. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. have a great show for you today. We have Bill Brennan who's going to talk about the blue growth equity strategy and kind of what, you know, the current state of sustainability investing, ESG investing. So that's going to be uh, terrific. We also have Reese Tisdale back with a blue field on tap segment. That'll come up in just a moment. As always, a little housekeeping here. Uh, thank, we picked up another five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much. If you have a if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider going to Apple Podcasts and leave it both a rating and a review. Uh, that's just a great way to help others find the podcast and uh, tell others what you thought and why you think you're you're giving it a five-star rating. So uh, we're up to 101, I think, five-star ratings. So uh, thank you again. If you've, if you've rated the podcast, really appreciate it. And if you've reviewed the podcast, even better. Thanks so much. Uh, with that, let's get to our Bluefield on Tap segment. Here's Reese Tisdale of Bluefield Research, and here we go. Well, Reese, welcome back to another Bluefield on Tap uh, segment. How you doing? Good, Dave. Good. It's uh, hate to say it, it's cold out there. <laughs> yeah, you've been a road warrior lately. Where Where have you been? Uh, I've spent three weeks straight. I was in Charlotte, had some meetings down there, which was really interesting. Talking to some actually water industry leaders. Um, it was really great, sort of more broadly speaking, what's happening. And then was over in Seattle talking to an engineering firm and uh, working on sort of actually digital water conversation or focus. And then now, I, uh, more recently this week, just before the cold hit, I was in, uh, in Cleveland talking about water infrastructure globally and sort of size of market. So it's been busy. Yeah. Amen. So uh, let's, let's, let's play off of your recent travels and kind of talk about uh, what you're seeing out there in the water business in general. What, so what, what's the, what, what are the big issues out there? Yeah, I'd say, you know, look, there's, as always, you know, digital water continues to be a big focus for us. Uh, We've been doing some uh, analysis of nutrient recovery, but it's, there's a lot happening. Without a doubt, there's a lot of interest. And I think, you know, more pointedly, I think, as we've discussed prior to this was, you know, hey, any, any research out there? We recently released some research on GE Digital. We've kind of did a if you will, an autopsy of GE and its water business and how that's uh, progressed over time. And they they just spun off D- GE Digital, which is their last remaining direct link to the water and wastewater sector. So it's an interesting long story. Yeah, and so and so let's let's kind of back up even a little more. So GE uh, sold GE Water to Suez a while back, and so now GE. Um, uh, had a, they had another entry point, so to speak, into the water sector, and that was GE Digital. What, what, how, how does GE Digital fit into this water picture? Um, GE, it, 
basically it's GE Digital has a portfolio of software solutions really focused on the industrial internet of things and it, it, it's it's cloud-based platform which is Predix is really it's basically predictive it's a predictive maintenance tool for primarily engines and turbines and other industrial sectors and the, you know the thought was hey well this maybe this can be deployed in the water space uh, as things evolve and sort of managing water that was sort of during and it, the GE digital was launched in 2014 um, I think the the other part of their business um, that it's still GE digital controls is the the SCADA software systems iFix and simplicity which have pretty big footprints in the US and they you know look SCADA systems are ubiquitous across the water industry so they do have a position in that market. Now, GE, what they did, I think it was in December after months of discussing um, about restructuring, they ultimately decided, look, this isn't uh, growing to the extent we thought it would. We can get some money on the back end of this, so let's let's at least uh, spin this out. Got it. Got it. Uh, so, so we've got a, um, a refocused GE Digital uh, what, what do you think that portends for the water market? Uh, are, are they going to be, uh, you know, a big, a, a big fish, so to speak? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a good way to put it. I think, look, they, their peers, in our minds, we see them, you know, in a peer group of Schneider Electric, Siemens, Rockwell, ABB, Emerson. These are all huge diversified companies across industrials. But I think what's interesting is, you know, you use the term big fish. When we look at what's happening in digital water as a whole, it's it's new. There are a lot of small players, new solutions providers entering the market. We track over 400 companies active in the space. So you got, and when I look at it simply speaking, you got big fish and you got little fish. As things evolve like they do in corporate America, in the corporate world, you know, some little fish grow up to be big fish and they compete on their own, but a lot of little fish get eaten by the big fish. And so as GE or Schneider and the, and the others, as they hone their uh, capabilities and their uh, water market solutions over time, which we expect to, con- to happen and continue happening, the, they pose um, opportunities for sellers of solutions and technologies. Um, so it'll be interesting to sort of see. It's going to take a while to play out, but it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Yeah. Is, is there any concern that you see out there um, for the fact that GE has spun off GE Water now or has, has sold GE Water and has now spun off GE Digital. I mean, is is water investing kind of in trouble? I mean, what's what's your market outlook there? Look, I'm in the business. So <laughs> I hate. To, I'm not going to sit here and say it's terrible. Um, it kind of depends where you're going. There, without a doubt, people are interested in digital solutions now. And I think I've even said it on this podcast. There are, you know, there are a lot of hammers running around looking for nails, um, and that you know, it, it's you, your solutions have to work. And um, they don't always. It's a tough market, particularly the municipal water sector. What is interesting about this, stepping back for a second, is we at Bluefield, but I think in general, there's a lot of interest on the industrial space and what is happening there because it's private companies dealing with private companies. There's – 
there's often more often a real bottom line driven approach uh, to water wastewater management. So there's an opportunity there. That's why I think this is interesting for GE Digital because that's where it lines up probably more on the digital side than on the municipal. But I think as a whole, I think the outlook is really positive. Um, there are in, there are tough spots though. You know the utility acquisitions. You know there are a couple of key players that are active in that segment that uh, have a stronghold. It's hard to do market entry. And then I would say, you know, on the technology space, there's a lot of development, really of business models and trying to get into the market. But there's a lot of activity happening there. Awesome. Well, Reese, as always, great information today. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll hear from you again in about a month. Thanks so much. Awesome, Dave. Great. Stay warm. <laughs> you too. Bye. Take care. Bye. Well, as always, Reese does a great job with the Bluefield on Tap segment, you know, giving us the latest on where the water markets are, what the information is. Uh, you know, that's just invaluable stuff that you that you get here only on the Water Values podcast. Uh, we're going to turn now to our feature interview. That's Bill Brennan, who's going to talk about the blue growth equity strategy he's put together. And this is a fascinating uh, look at sustainability investing, ESG investing, kind of what's behind it, how he builds the portfolios. And, he, you know, they started off with, uh, putting uh, investing in companies in the Chesapeake Bay region, and then they had enough success with that. They moved on uh, and put together a watershed strategy for the Great Lakes uh, to invest in companies. And so, I think you're going to find this interesting in terms of uh, how they how they you know sift through all these companies out there. Uh, what what's important? What are the reporting uh, you know, criteria that they that they're looking at? And so I, I just think this is a this is a fascinating look at, at to, to find someone who clearly has a good grasp of the financial markets and investing. And this is a great look, uh, kind of a pulling the curtain back on how uh, water investing is done, ESG investing is done. So without further ado, let's get to Bill Brennan. So fasten your seatbelts, open the valves, and here we go. Well, Bill, welcome back to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come back with us. How you been? Thanks for having me back. Much appreciated. You you bet. So we last had you on in 2017, and where we talked about investing in water. That's uh, for for those of you listening at home. That's uh, the water values number 105. So you can find that at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 105. Since since that recording, Bill, what have you been up to? A, a number of different things, but like I say to people, it's kind of three legs on the stool within the water sector. Um, still very much involved in that, but has brought, broadened the horizons, too, across um, sustainability and ESG. Uh, still working with the folks at Equilibrium as a senior advisor and uh, working on those distributed projects, which is going extremely well. And we're starting to see additional uh, water developers appear, uh, both from within the industry and outside of the industry. And I think 2019 is going to be an excellent year for those types of distributed projects, especially with the intersection of water, ag, and energy and waste streams, um, all coming together and all being taken a look at in a holistic fashion. And, you know, projects are starting to accelerate in that area. Secondly, I'm working with the folks at Maryland Capital Management where I head up their sustainability and ESG strategies. And today we're going to be talking about uh, both you know, the watershed and why investing in the watershed is is an important concept, and that concept became a reality over the last several years 
with the folks at MCM. And then lastly, I'm working with the folks at Watership Blue as far as doing shipboard-based desal, um, hopefully for uh, places that really need uh, a new and innovative water source like they do down in Central and South America, um, specifically around some of the mining issues that are going on down there and also in the Middle East where folks are taking a look at replenishment of aquifers that have been dormant for decades and taking a look at uh, shipboard-based desalination as an alternative and, and probably a primary means of um, uh, taking those aquifers back to uh, a state that they were hundreds of years ago. So that's the three legs of the story. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on. A lot of, well, well, we'll talk about one of those legs, right? So we'll, we'll talk about kind of the, uh, the, the middle stool or the middle leg of that stool that you were kind of mentioned. Um, and so it's, it's really the blue growth impact equity strategy. And so to, just to, for, for starters, can you kind of talk about how this idea, you know, formulated in your head and what it, it, this strategy basically is all about? Sure. So it was a collaboration with the, with the, uh, the portfolio managers down at Maryland Capital Management in Baltimore. And we've been talking for years about putting together something um, with a differentiated sustainability ESG-focused um, strategy for, for clients. And at one, when I was running the Kinetics Water Fund, MCM had looked to, to take that fund over, and uh, unfortunately, it, the timing is everything. And as we progressed and continued to have these conversations over the last several years, it really came to the head that you know the process that they had put together as investors as far as large-cap growth and really doing a great job as far as active management, uh, the suggestion was made that why don't we take a look at the Chesapeake watershed and what are the best companies, publicly traded companies, within the Chesapeake region, both from a headquarters standpoint and also for companies that had significant operations that were doing quantifiable, meaningful uh, objectives with regards to sustaining and elongating the life of the Chesapeake and do it in a manner where we could actually replicate that strategy to other large watersheds, such as the Great Lakes, California, New England, the Southeast, and take a look at the criticality of businesses that are using those watersheds, how they're using them, and what are they doing to make sure that not only their industry specifically, but you know, creating an environment where other companies could come into that specific watershed and use it in a responsible manner. And so uh, MCM launched the Chesapeake Impact Equity Strategy. two years ago, and off of that, the Great Lakes governors and premiers had been looking to provide different types of investment vehicles around water, agriculture, forestry, things that re shipping, things that really impacted the Great Lakes region. And when they saw what MCM and we did with the Chesapeake and how we constructed that portfolio, the light went on and said, can you replicate that with certain nuances and underlying issues specific to the Great Lakes with and put together a, a concentrated portfolio of public companies that were doing the best, best of breed activities in sustainability in the Great Lakes region. And that's how that's come about. Great. Now, I, I, I don't want you to give away your secret sauce, but like what, what are you looking for? Let's just take the Chesapeake Bay where you started. 
you know, what were the what were the primary issues when you when you kind of look at all these public companies out there? Because there's you know an innumerable number of these public companies. How do you narrow it down? What are the what are the kind of the issues that you're focusing on? You know, uh, beyond just kind of water sustainability type type issues. What you know, what's important for you guys? Well, well first of all, I think it's very important that people realize that we put the uh, we put the portfolio together to make money. And that's the most important thing because people tend to hear sustainability ESG. And even though the focus and interest in that type of investing has really accelerated, the the reality is that we're here to make money for our clients. So we're providing uh, that that capital appreciation in a concentrated portfolio, it's high-quality companies, and they're having that positive impact on the Chesapeake Bay. And like I said, it's the measurable impact where you take a look and you take a look at the metrics of the bay, and you say Maryland, Virginia, they've suffered four billion dollars plus in annual losses just because of the decline of industries related to oyster harvesting over the past three decades, and that comes from the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And the thing is that you know when you take a look at how out of balance the Bay is with regards to health indexes. We're looking for the companies that are coming back in like Starbucks that are doing things with regards to oyster restoration. You wouldn't normally equate Starbucks, which is a large employer within that whole Chesapeake Bay region, as being a leader with regards to oyster restoration. But that's just one of the examples. So we take it down from a granular level, um, both on the investment side and investing in good companies, but then we put another overlay on and say, from a corporate standpoint, what are they doing in sustainability and ESG, and then go even deeper into specifically, what are the activities within the Bay region, and how are they putting programs together to make sure that the Bay is going to be there for the next 100 years and beyond? I mean, Marriott's another great example. You know, they were honored as a conservationist of the year by the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. They have community days where they service company-wide. They're doing things productive uh, around the Bay Area. So these companies are, are actually walking the walk and talking talk with regards to you know, on-the-ground sustainability at the Bay level. Got it. Now, so, so you know, the first layer is you got to perform financially because you got to make money for your clients. The second layer is that you, you look at uh, what these companies are doing to promote the uh, watershed health in in whatever basin you're looking at. Correct. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so the, you know, that's an I, that's got to be the the foundation for any successful. Um, um, you know, investment strategy, because uh, I've, I've have read, and I can't remember where I saw this. It might've been in the wall street journal. It might've been in, you know, Bloomberg, but they were talking about, you know, when, when you're investing uh, in, in an ESG, you know, silo or so to speak. Uh, and, and for those of you who, who are, are at home ESG, uh, that means environmental social governance investing. Those are the kind of the three things you're, you're, you're looking at. So whenever ESG is mentioned, that's what we're talking about. But, um, the, the argument that the author was making was essentially that if, look, if, if, if you really want the best returns, you ought to, uh, not limit yourself to just ESG, you know, or sustainability investing, um, and it, it seems to me that when you first put the financial metrics 
forward and then put the overlay on, you, you may be able to insulate yourself from from the overall market risk. Yeah, I mean, what are your? Do you have any thoughts on on that aspect of of putting together these investment strategies? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit that square on the head, David. And the fact that you know companies that are that are employing and deploying the best practices across their business, you know, both from um, the operational stand and sustainability. And they take a look at sustainability with an eye as far as margin expansion. They realize that, um, you know, you're, you're doing good, but by doing good, you're creating value for your shareholders and for the company at the, at the same time. So it's really changed with regards, and people use the term greenwashing, when it, there's an activity done in this space just for the appearance's sake. Here, by having quantifiable metrics and really digging in deep with these companies as far as, you know, why are you doing it? What's the benefit? What's, you know, what's your net benefit from employee retention? What are you doing with regards to accelerating you know, the number of employees that you have in the region? This has a positive economic impact also as well. And it draws that type of person that, you know, it, it will tug at their loyalty strings, and it creates an, a really good work environment uh, across the board. Now, with not only the fact that, you know, somebody's proud to go to work for an organization that, boy, we're doing all these great things within the Bay Area or the Great Lakes area, but, you know, it becomes, it, it becomes a self-propagating uh, situation within the organization that as they see the positives that come from that, they push forward, and they, they've actually, we've seen in a lot of cases, have accelerated these programs. So, um, you know, the days of having it just done for appearance sake or to be able to put out a press release, they're long gone. Companies and organizations realize that, you know, by really embracing different ways to process trash, to, to reduce their water footprint through water reuse, all of the things that you and I have discussed about before in various components, they're doing it now, and they're seeing the economic benefit, which in turn uh, relays into an underlying increase in intrinsic value for the company. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think what you just described to me is is really what 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 you're saying is: look, these companies are now in it for the long haul. It's a long term strategy that's going to pay dividends over time. Um, rather than just kind of the quick hit, yeah, we, we, we greenwashed this, this, uh, you know, it, it didn't have a long-term benefit. It was more of a, uh, quick hitter, you know, try to, try to make us look good in the short term type of, type of look. So, um, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bill. It's not just checking the box for checking in the box sake. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, in your in the uh, strategy materials, I know there's four themes that you kind of outline. The first is water use reduction, and then there's carbon reduction, energy efficiency, and environmental certification. Uh, can you kind of talk about? Let's let's take each one of those in turn. Can you talk about the the water use reduction component of of seeking out these companies? What what kind of catches your eye when you're looking at a company uh, when when they're with regards to water conservation, we're changing out pictures, things like that. But then when they take a deeper dive into their operational use of water and what they're doing to reduce that water footprint, what they're doing to make sure that, you know, the quality of water, when we say use reduction, we also are taking a look at, you know, at the measure of, of what are they putting back or removing it in the water before they put it back into 
um, into a, a water surface, back into the sewer? What Are they being responsible in the manner that they're treating water across the enterprise? And, you know, water reduction is a big piece of this because the thing is, the more efficient, more efficient we are with the use of water, um, the more people that can come into the regions like the Great Lakes and create that economic benefit from, from the proper and intelligent use of water. Um, the carbon reduction, it, it makes sense across the board. I mean, we've seen companies like Disney go into um, Pennsylvania and plant trees. And unless we dug deep into that, why were they doing this? And it was to offset the carbon footprint. So these companies are taking these specific um, action items across water use, reuse, carbon reduction, energy efficiency, and also the environmental certification. They're paying attention to how are we dealing with our waste streams? What can we reuse? How can we minimize our waste? Can we go to um, zero water discharge? Can we go to zero waste discharge? You know, are, can, is there opportunities where we can take waste and actually turn that into energy? So, you know, this is important too from a standpoint that when you take a look at the regional economy and the direct connection into things like water, these are driving, um, they're starting to really drive business goals and, and development um, with regards to as far as reducing the risk, which we as investors love to see and our, our you know, the folks that invest with us want to see us manage risk. It's always one of the things that, that comes to the forefront. Well, again, if we see companies efficiently lowering their risk and raising their performance at the same time through these types of activities, we, we know that this is, not, this is something that has become part of the corporate culture. And then we press. I mean, we really want to become advocates with regards to being engaged in active dialogues, things that we see in conversations with other companies, or I see from you know the various pieces of the water, ag, and energy nexus that I operate in, and in sustainability. If I see something that I can make a recommendation, that line of avenues open, and it's very important because as a shareholder, you're treated much differently than you would be as an, uh, you know another type of investor. So when I say that relative to PE or venture capital, and somebody's trying to come in and, and say, hey, listen, we'd like to show you this new technology. As a shareholder, you've got a direct line to the corporate sustainability folks, to the CFO, in a lot of cases to the CEO. And these conversations are meaningful to these people because now they've had pretty much of a decade of being immersed in this. And as we see that next generation of management emerge and step into the C-suite, uh, these folks are really well-versed with regards to those areas, and they're paying attention to it um, with regards to how is this going to be a business driver for us you know, for the next decade and beyond. Right, right. And I think it's interesting how all your themes kind of, they they are consistent from a one water perspective. Um, uh, not only just, you, you may look at carbon reduction in a vacuum and say, oh, well, you know, how does that impact water? Well, it, it, it impacts the food chain and there's, we all know about the water, energy, food supply nexus. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, with, with energy efficiency, carbon reduction, water supply or water use reduction, um, you know, they all kind of tie together really, really nicely. Um, environmental certification. Talk to me about what what are kind of the important environmental certifications because there's a ton of them out there. And you know how how, how do you you know these companies can tout all kinds uh, of environmental certification. So what do you look for? Well, and, and well, 
the thing is, too, there's not, unfortunately, there's not a, a, an imperator or stamp, one stamp of approval that everybody can go to. And you bring up a great point. A lot of it has to do with existing measurements and reporting standards, whether it's through CDP, whether it's UNPRI, you know, the various organizations, SASB, that are out there really trying to make a difference and are, are being advocates with regards to companies taking a look and, you know, filling out those requirements that each one of those organizations deems important for business operations going forward. There's not one company, though, David, that you find that fills out every box. There's always going to be holes, which means that, you know, we're moving as, you know, as fast as the market allows us to towards standardization. But it, it gives us an opportunity, too, to say from a standpoint where the company operates in a regional basis and especially around the watershed, you know, we will put a little bit more emphasis with regards to, you know, so do have they run into problems with, uh, say, Waterkeepers Alliance or Nature Conservancy? Um, have there been organizations that have brought lawsuits against these companies um, for discharge issues? Why, you know, why did it happen? When did it happen? Have corrected actions been made, taken place? So the certifications are one thing and how they adhere and report are another. And it gives us the opportunity, too, that if we see some gaps, why aren't you reporting on these specific environmental metrics, social metrics, or governance metrics while your peer group is? You know, we're doing the extra analysis to fill in those blanks through that on the ground, in conversation with the companies on a daily basis. And that, and again, taking it down to that level, whether it's the Great Lakes region or the Chesapeake region, um, you know, it, we were able to have that conversation at a much deeper and granular level than people that will use the reporting ESG metrics and off of that, we'll say, well, this, the company scores well, that's great, and you know, that's just another you know, bit that that company goes into. We're taking it to where active dialogue, um, if they're not certified in a certain area, and when we say, you know, the broad term of environmental certification can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. For us, what we wanna try to do is really create the matrix with regards to the areas that we talked about um, not only in the environmental piece, but also the social and corporate governance piece, because job creation is a big piece of this. What's going to happen with workforce housing? All of these issues are big issues, especially when you get into urban areas. So the certification, environmental is really one piece of it, but there's a broader certification, too, that you know, hopefully will be a part of that solution. And as companies move towards more transparency in the reporting and as things evolve where you know, these issues now come to the forefront. They become the driving business issues within these regions. Um, then more emphasis will be paid to them by investors, uh, by us as investors, and also the folks that, you know, are taking a look at these companies on an individual basis. Right, right. So, so Bill, you mentioned CDP and uh, UNPRI, and and uh, for longtime listeners, you'll remember Will Sarney introduced us to CDP back in episode ten in twenty fourteen, uh, and one of the th- and one of the things Will kind of. Um, you know, indicated then was you know not not every company is participating, uh, but you know it, the 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 train is rolling, and that was you know back in 2014. Uh, what, what do you find? Um, you know, obviously there's still holes, but is is reporting on the uptick to CDP? It definitely is. Um, you know, 
definitely is. And I mean, and, and I uh, really encourage people to go to the CDP.net website and take a look because Will and his group have done a fantastic job as far as uh, really driving this and making it a major, major force with regards to change and, you know, how these companies, when you take a look at even in the oil and gas industry, um, you know, their report, they have a recent report that ranks 24 of the largest, highest impact publicly listed oil and gas companies on business readiness for a low carbon transition. These guys have been critically instrumental in this mind shift and also within the C-suite of people paying attention to what needs to be done and doing it the right way. Right, right. And what about uh, UNPRI, the United Nations Supported Principles for Responsible Investment? What, can you tell us a little bit about what that you know, that framework is. Sure. And, and I, you know, it's important for people that, that are unfamiliar with the UNPRI. Uh, it, they have done a great job with regards to bringing it at the country level on board with regards to participation um, among the signatories uh, within the, the whole responsible investment framework. Um, and, and when you take a look at what they've done as far as um, peer exchange on, on climate environmental risk disclosures, just even country to country uh, recently with regards to the U.K. and Chinese fi- financial institutions. They've done a great job of the integration of operations, financial, regulatory, and governmental agencies working together um, to create this dynamic framework moving forward that really has been a, it's a, one of the prime temples that, that investors have used, sustainable markets have used, and also for the signatories, the, the, the investment firms like ourselves that sign on to this, um, we adhere to a set of standards that, you know, they have what I call dynamic set of standards because they're constantly improving. It, it's not stationary in any way, shape, or form of what they're doing. Um, they're constantly being innovative and being creative with regards to, you know, what are the next issues and really following through in order to make sure that we do have some type of comprehensive framework um, in order to take take a look and for global investors to take a look around the world and saying, why are some countries ahead of other countries? Why are some industries, uh, you know, taking the lead here? What's the driver? And it gives that look to the future, too, that, you know, who's doing it right? Why are they doing it right? And people better pay attention to that because uh, it's not just being done for solely the economic gain. It's really done for the societal impact, which to some degree may not be measurable here today. But when you look back over the next 10 years, looking backwards, it's very easy to identify what what will come from uh, the metrics that are created within the UNPRI to you know what really was the true impact of that right right um, it, you know I, I think it's fascinating stuff that you're relaying to us here today um uh, let me let me kind of shift gears here and you know you kind of talked about the talked about the chesapeake and you've you've mentioned the great lakes are 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 the you know are in in terms of finding the companies are are you finding the the companies kind of they're the same companies like you mentioned Starbucks and Marriott are those same companies active in the Great Lakes the same way they're in the Chesapeake or you know are are there different things that are important to different geographical locations? Well, you know the thing is, our, and I go back to our fundamental analysis where we we're screening for market cap. These companies are three billion market cap and up. We're taking a look at forward EPS growth and revenue growth. 
And, yeah, there is some overlap, as you would imagine, since Marriott and Starbucks are national companies. But there's also some regional companies that, that pop up um, that are in the portfolio that um, are really inherent to the Great Lakes. And, and also sectors that are inherent to the Great Lakes, whether it's around um, food production or forestry, water in some cases. Um, so you're, you're, you'll see a, you know, a noticeable difference. Uh, between uh, the holdings of one watershed to another watershed, right? And and in terms of your your investors, uh, are are they uh, are are you know number one, what's your what what kind of investor are you looking for? Number two, are they um, are they interested in specific portfolios because they they live in an area and they want to see it it improve? Uh, they want to see it inv- you know become more environmentally sustainable. Um, you know, kind of. I'm kind of curious about who, you know, what, what the motives are, who the, who the investors are and what the motives are. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because a lot of the conversations we've seen people, um, A, take an active interest in sustainability in ESG, but also locally. And investors are now taking a look and saying, uh, what can I do at the local level? How can I be invested at the local level across various asset classes? whether it's private equity, whether it's venture capital, whether it's in the public equity arena. And, you know, our, our strategies um, are unique in that sense, and it gives the local family offices, endowments, pension funds, um, high net worth individuals, because these are set up as separate managed accounts, um, to, to invest locally. And, you know, it, it, it goes back to the old adage, you know, invest in things that you know, and there's a high comfort level with folks knowing that, okay, I'm investing in things basically in my backyard, in my area that I may have a knowledge of already, but I didn't have a deep knowledge down to what the real impact was within the watershed, what they were doing. Oh, and so, you know what they've done at the corporate and enterprise level across sustainability as well. So you've got the transition of more capital in these you know, various investor groups moving towards sustainability. The mandates are there for them to have a larger allocation to um, assets that are in sustainability, and we're, we're filling that need while at the same time not giving away you know, the performance where people have thought before that from an impact standpoint, it's a lesser return. No, we're looking for companies that from a performance standpoint, they've got, you know, they meet all of our core investment criteria, and then now we've got the, the enterprise-wide sustainability and also at the level within the watershed. You, you bet. Now, uh, I just want to articulate a point of um, probably you know legal significance. These are not funds, right? It's it's a it's a it's a strategy for investment. And can you can you just go through that as to why we haven't called this or why we've avoided calling this investment strategy a fund? Sure. Well, because it's not a fund, and when we have a separate managed account. We've seen a number of investors, especially institutional investors, want to have uh, their assets managed away from um, what would typically look like a mutual fund type of structure. So this is a separate managed account. We do not do any funds. Um, There is no mutual fund for this. So if people are interested in this, this is direct contact with uh, the folks at Maryland Capital Management to establish a separate managed account that would invest in these concentrated portfolios around the respective watersheds. 
God, I just wanted to, to make clear so that people, people, you know, listening kind of knew exactly what, what, what was going on. Um, you know, Bill, has, has there been anything that I haven't asked you about these, uh, this investment strategy that you think is important for, uh, for people to know? I mean, what, what have I missed? Well, I don't think we've missed anything, David. I said, you know, the one thing that we tried to highlight earlier is the fact that you know, we've done this in a replicable manner, and we wanted the replication to prove that at the Chesapeake, this could be done at the Chesapeake level, and from the Chesapeake level, it, we've attracted interest um, from folks in the Great Lakes. But you know, the plan all along is to have a national, because as you said, you see overlap and you see the best of breed companies across the various watersheds that they operate in. That you know, these companies are national um, in in their structure and configuration, and that it will eventually make sense. But, you know, to investors out there that are looking to have a strategy that would be in their backyard, whether it's California or some of the other major watersheds, we've done this and configured this in a manner and thought out, you know, thought through the process to do this on a national scale as well. But first and foremost, we wanted to make sure that we had the pieces in place because, again, the localization nature of investors, it definitely shifted. We've seen people come back to having a real sincere interest in the, in the areas where they live, what type of measurable impacts their investments are having, and being able to drive that type of uh, thought process across their various investments where that dialogue leads to you know, improvements not only at a corporate standpoint but societal the corporate governance side and leads to, you know, a more in, ingrained, in tune, um, sustainable uh, geographic area and community. Terrific. Well, Bill, as normal, you've been awesome. Uh, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your your uh, knowledge with us today. Uh, for those people who want to find out more about you, find out more about the Blue Growth Impact Equity Strategy, where can they go to find that information? mdcapital.com and everyone's contact information is on there and uh, feel free to to contact us off the website if there's any inquiries to what we're doing both in the Great Lakes and in the the Chesapeake region. Awesome. Well, Bill, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a happy new year and we'll talk soon. Dave, great. Thanks to talk with you. Best to all your listeners and uh, happy new year and God bless to everybody. Take care. Okay. Bye, Bill. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bill Brennan. Uh, as always, he provided a great interview. I thought a lot of great information uh, within that. And I would love to hear what you liked about that interview. You can you know, leave your comment on the show notes. You can find those at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 141. Uh, you know, again, leave your comments on that. Uh, as I indicated at the top of the show, you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be greatly appreciated. You can do that on Stitcher as well or tune in any other uh, podcast directory that you listen to the show on. That'd be greatly appreciated. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values, and you can email me with suggestions or uh, you know, ideas for new shows. You can do that at David at the watervalues.com. You can also go to the website, watervalues.com and, uh, Click on the contact Dave and shoot me a note that way. I, that'll, I'll get to that uh, via that way. You can sign up for the Water Values newsletter at the website too, so go ahead and do that. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. 
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to the Disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.